This ticker podcast is brought to you by Broadridge Financial Solutions. Hi, everyone. Back in my day, we did the math like this. Time plus effort plus money times a relatively small constituency of institutional investors was greater than the same sum of energy devoted to a huge but disparate group of retail investors. It was a very bad time for retail outreach. But now we're modern, and new technologies like social media are revising the equation. In today's digital age where technology capabilities are improving, Um, tenfold year over year, you know, we're introducing some of those capabilities. On today's Ticker Podcast, a look at the latest digital trends, toys and channels set to revolutionize retail investor engagement. That's coming up right after your Ticker News Update. Hiring an outside investor relations firm isn't cheap. But for smaller companies facing M&A situations, the price may be worth it. New research shows target firms that engage an IR consultant often end up with higher deal premiums. Study author Kate Upton is Assistant Professor of Finance at Elon University. Large firms don't really benefit in terms of hiring externally for investor relations, specifically when it comes to mergers and acquisitions. But these target firms that are perhaps smaller sometimes private, really benefit, even if they have an IRO, they really benefit from having one of these more well-known external investor relation firms. It can really come in and either mount a defense against a hostile takeover or improve the terms of the deal. And at a minimum, we believe, improve investor perception about why the deal may or may not take place and what would be the perceived and actual costs and benefits of a deal taking place. Upton says her results may reflect IR consultants' know-how when it comes to media campaigns aimed at retail investors. And you'll find more strategies for small caps navigating mergers and acquisitions in the latest OTC Markets Small Cap Company Guide. That's now available at irmagazine.com. Which brings us to Jason Paltrowitz. Paltrowitz runs OTC Markets Corporate Services. Last fall, OTC Markets hosted the IR Magazine Forum and Awards Small Cap from their offices in New York. IR Magazine's Ben Ashwell asked Paltrowitz about some of the top tips that emerged from the conference. One would be that you can be creative and still get to what you need, right? Um, Are you going to get research coverage at the big wirehouses? Probably not. But can you get noticed by those firms? Absolutely. If you're creative and you think about your strategy for kind of targeting investors uh, and the sell side. I think the second thing that came out of it and and something that small cap companies face uh, just because of lack of resource is consistency around being public companies. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, some of the basic blocking and tackling that a GE doesn't have to worry about is making sure your, you know, your filings are on time, making sure that you're consistent in when you notify the street of certain events, um, making sure that your press releases are out in a timely fashion and that they're out for bad things as well as good things. Um, You know, when you're a small company, a micro cap or small cap, and you're kind of running on bootstraps, some of those things can can kind of fall by the wayside. But those are the real important things that companies need to focus on as they come up the food chain and in order to be successful. 
Despite economic worries and a global equity meltdown, investors continue their love affair with exchange-traded funds. More than $16 billion flowed into U.S.-listed ETFs in the week ending December 13th. Meanwhile, roughly that same week, equity mutual funds experienced record outflows. IROs are still adjusting to the relentless growth of so-called passive investors, and a recent IR Magazine webinar gathered experts from the U.S., Canada, and Europe to better understand their behavior. One consistent theme, the tag passive may be misleading. Martin Rosemuller is Managing Director at Think ETF Asset Management. Even though ETFs were passive in, in, in their ownership, especially like, like probably 10, 15 years ago, there's a trend that more and more of these passive products become more active in, in their ownership. So by, by using proxy voting, by, by getting in a sort of an engagement program, especially the ESG development has, has obviously steered in that direction quite a bit. So passive holders are not as passive as they used to be, and, and I think that trend will, re, will, will continue. And finally, Hong Kong is set to regain its crown as the world's top IPO destination. An influx of new economy companies has boosted new listings to a record 208, with total fundraising worth over $38 billion. The market lost its number one position to New York last year. the dawn of public markets, IROs have searched for a better way to reach retail investors come proxy time. First, they tried the mail. My dearest shareholder, this financial period finds me racked by the fiery pains of your absence. Only your most humble solicitation allows me to contemplate your cherished memory. But that was slow. Then they tried smile and dial. Main two. 9970. But you needed a lot of phones. Other traditional tactics like media campaigns and even email reminders were, and still are, okay. But in our digital world, investor relations teams must directly and instantly reach retail shareholders wherever they are. And according to our guest this week, more and more often, where they are is on social media. Sherry McLaughlin is Broadridge Financial Solutions Senior Director of Data Strategy and Innovation. Broadridge, as you may know, is the biggest player in the proxy processing business. But when it comes to shareholder communication, it wants to be so much more. So McLaughlin's job is to take that proliferation of real-time digital and social channels, wrap them in data, and help companies enrich investor engagement. I began our conversation by asking McLaughlin about the link between data and engagement. Let's jump in. You have an interesting title, actually. (laughs) Senior Director, Data Strategy and Innovation. I I need a data strategy. How how does one get one of those? (laughs) It's interesting because they go hand in hand. My brief history uh, with Broadridge is working from a tabulation perspective, performing master tabulation for... um, for corporate issuers. So I became very familiar with all the intricacies of proxy voting, which you 
can only imagine the complexity of it. It's not as simple as you, you would expect or that others expect. There's a lot of layers when it comes to corporate issuer proxy voting. So I became very familiar with voting, the needs of the issuers, and we at Broadridge looked further into that and the um, lack of transparency in this space and said, well, what can we do um, to help corporate issuers provide them with more insights into their voting, the patterns, the trends, so that they could help develop the strategies to better engage with them. And so we um, produced a product called Shareholder Data Services that was sold to corporate issuers that allowed them to do that, understanding more about their retail investors versus institutional investors, um, and it provided them with more la layers of detail, what voting channels were more um, effective than others, so how you connect with those shareholders, what messages you're sending to them, all that matters in, in their strategy. So we started to provide metrics that were helpful to do that. And then the natural question every time we presented this data to corporate issuers was, well, what can I do about it? And so we also provide those tools um, to be able to be effective in doing that, um, redistributing through hard copy, email, and then we started to be creative in further engaging with them, working side-by-side -side with issuers on their strategy, um, playing with the messaging, the content of the packages and how the packages were put together. That, of course, led to those digital channels of how do we produce more impactful emails, and we have options to, to better improve that process. In today's uh, digital age, where you know technology um, is uh, t technology capable uh, capabilities are improving um, tenfold year over year, then you know we're introducing some of those capabilities. And I think you already spoke about blockchain and the ability uh, for us to get voting channels up through there. Then we started to look at other channels where people were communicating. So social media became really in demand from issuers to say that is a new channel that I want to use in new and interesting ways in proxy. So that's how data and shareholder engagement sort of go hand in hand. And as we start to develop those strategies with issuers, the metrics of how impactful they are became important as well. It's amazing how much this reflects uh, or is reflected in sort of the uh, political electioneering oh, these days, using the same techniques. Um, Social media. Same technology, exactly. same analytics, and that sort of thing. Uh, very similar sort of, sort of idea. Yeah, the, the general concept is there. The more you know about your audience, uh, the better you can communicate with them. And then in turn, after you communicate them, it becomes full circle that you want to measure the effectiveness that, with that and adjust your strategy accordingly. Very similar concepts. Okay. Um, so we can absolutely uh, speak about shareholder data services. It's a, you know, a, a tool available to corporate issuers and also mutual funds who want to get a better understanding of past performance and then use that to um, create strategies for future performance and then measure the effectiveness of it. So I wrap data around everything. It's, it sort of sandwiches everything else. You need the data in the beginning and you need the data in the end. Can you give me an example of that? How would how would you sort of uh, tweak your your message based on you know what 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 your technology is telling you? So there's a few ways we do that with with data today, and one in general with the broader stroke of proxy um, and engaging in particular with retail investors because that's um, um, where issuers are, are focusing. Since only 30% of the um, retail investors are voting today, the the goal is to increase that participation. And so 
the message becomes important. We work with issuers to to craft that message through the, the technology. And we've done a lot of research here with retail investors, um, having focus groups and surveys about um, what is meaningful for them, what are their barriers mm-hmm. to participation today. So we use that in turn back in um, in our in our guidance to corporate issuers, um, pulling that into the data and the advice as well. But the data itself from past performance, the corporate issuers, the uh, corporate issuers have an, an annual meeting. Meaning, you know, we have all st- or types of data and analytics on their past performance, so we understand um, based on how they were communicating to. So, did they receive a hard copy, full package with their proxy statement um, included in? and their annual report, or did they receive a notice? And Mm. notice just says, here's a notice that we have an annual meeting. Please go find that material on the Internet. And as many in the industry suspected and expected that the participation levels drastically decreased for those that did not receive the annual report and proxy statement physically in the mail with their vote instruction form. Hmm. So it did, in in fact, decrease that participation, which caused the industry to say, what can we do about that? So the way that it works, the shareholder has the right to request full package material. But the default um, for the issuers that uh, would like to save that money by not sending out the full package is to send them a notice. So they do that. Um, based on certain thresholds, a lot of ways in their strategies. So those with a high share level, uh, have a higher share amount, the company may choose to send them a full package because the anticipation is we want those investors to, in fact, vote. There's a higher um, impact to our proxy process to get them to vote. You'll, you'll get more bang for your, your mailing buck, you basically. Exactly, yeah. exactly right. So they, issuers tend to um, adjust or throttle that stratification level based on their gut hmm. to say, I think that, or, or they might have high-level statistics to say, you know, 30% of our shareholders are, you know, 1,000 shares and above. So based on that and the cost effect of changing that stratification, so the value of the impact versus cost, they make that stratification decision. And year to year, they might choose to adjust that based on the effectiveness of that threshold. Um, They may choose to the next year if they have a particular proposal that is of concern for them or if they have a shareholder proposal on the agenda, they may choose to um, to stratify at a lower level of 100 shares and above. The data can help them determine the right strategic level and they can start to balance out that cost effectiveness versus the impact to their vote. How much money are we talking about here? I mean, can you give me a ballpark? I don't know. Uh, it certainly depends on the size of the issue. Yeah, yeah. So it, for a very small micro-cap company, it might be the difference of a couple hundred dollars. For those um, large mega-cap companies, it might be the difference of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow, okay. Sounds, sounds like something you'd want to bring back to your boss. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> and that's what we're helping those corporate secretaries generally to, to provide those types of metrics to their boss and the decision-making factor, rather than saying, you know, based on my gut and, you know, the high-level information I have, here's what I recommend. They can go in with really smart data and analytics and say, based on our goals versus our budget mm-hmm. and the estimates, my recommendation is more scientific. And, and Sherry, sort of segueing just back to what we were talking about before, um, all this technology is sort of going to be hitting 
is now hitting a sort of a new demographic wave of people who are, I guess you'd call them digital natives, right? Yeah. And uh, the whole voting process is going to become easier, probably a lot quicker than we think. Yeah. And uh, retail is going to play even more of a role than what we think. We're absolutely seeing that trend. And so years back, we introduced mobile proxy voting. So mm-hmm. We had, we had um, proxyvote.com, which accommodates internet voting. And really quickly, we, uh, after that, we introduced mobile proxy voting. And the trend that we're seeing in that year over year is mobile proxy voting is increasing 50% year over year in the last few years. So we're definitely seeing that trend to smaller devices in the palm of their hand, handling more and more of uh, the, the retail investors, managing of all, all things banking, huh. financing, yep, voting, yep. everything is at their fingertips. So um, the mobile devices is where we have been focusing. And prior to proxy season this year, we're looking to introduce our first proxy voting app. What kind of content would that have? It's a better managing uh, device. What we're also finding in the tr- in the trends is that retail investors might have more than one brokerage account. Mm-hmm. So if we uh, look at the proxy voting process today, it would require them to receive their material through hard copy or through email, and then for each investment be able to log in and vote the shares for that investment. So if I'm Sherry McLaughlin... I have shares in IBM. I log into Proxy Vote today and I vote those shares. I close down that application. And then perhaps tomorrow I receive content that says Apple is now has their annual meeting. Please log in and vote your shares. So rather than one by one, they would be, have the ability to log into the app, get notification that an annual meeting is coming up, log into your app, and then they would be presented with all of the campaigns within their investment portfolio that have an annual meeting and they would be able to manage them all within the same place. Huh. And that would that is expected to boost retail retail voting. Yes, and it's looking to engage that retail investor into a single place for them to manage mm-hmm. receive those notifications on their mobile device, be able to with a thumbprint log into a proxy vote app within a couple of swipes um, understand and get informed about the proxy um, agenda for that particular meeting and be able to make a determination to vote in favor or against those proposals. Can I ask you something, Sherry? Sure. We can go off the record if you want, but like IR Magazine tried an app and, and, and I've, you know, downloaded apps and stuff. And, and when there's a choice between going to a website, <laughs> yeah. which says everything that the app would do, I, I kind of just gravitate to a website personally. Yeah, it, it really depends. So the way that we are viewing the space here is we're learning a lot about retail investors and we're spending time uh, speaking with them, understanding their preferences. What we're finding is, and this is not unlike, you know, other market research um, for retail or uh, for the financial industry, people have different preferences. If you speak with an audience of 10 people, two might want to call in their vote, three might want to use their smartphone, four might prefer a hard copy package. So we like to look at all of the ways in which uh, retail investors want that type of notification and all of the platforms in which they want to vote. And between the two of them, the notification process and the voting process, we want to accommodate as many of those preferences as possible. So if one prefers to go to a website, okay, that yeah. is fine. Give and the people what they want, right? Exactly. And we're also looking at going 
where their eyes are today. So if they're not interested in downloading yet another app to their phone, we're looking to introduce proxy voting into other apps. The broker app, it's already available. So we've integrated our proxy voting platform into the broker apps. So if you do, as an investor, go to a Morgan Stanley app or a Morgan Stanley website, there is a, a, um, an API call into our proxy voting process so that it's seamless to them. It's all about managing their investments in one area and the proxy voting process being a part of that. You know, Sherry, it still seems like a lot of work to me. It doesn't seem to be like I'd be getting tokens or anything, unless unless it was, <laughs> you know, unless it was uh, uh, Bank of America uh, using my money to bribe me to vote. Uh, maybe there'd be a little button on the app saying, you know, send me my Chuchki or, or what? What? What was it they did? Oh, they did. Um, uh, they gave money to charity. Yes. So there, there is a thank you uh, process to that, and you're correct. Again, working with a lot of issuers, and we did work with Bank of America to say, you know, what, what's in it for them? What incentive is there to get retail investors to vote? Um, there's obviously benefits to them in investing, financial benefits. What's their uh, benefit to actually voting? Um, and so the concept of a thank you for voting um, to further incentivize them to participate in the process um, did come out as an interest from from multiple investors and we were for multiple issuers and we were able to accommodate that. It's not the end all, right? Because to your point, if you're if you're calling it a bribe, um, that's not really what we want to do. Is you know aligned with the needs of the industry. We do actually want retail investors to care about the process because it's good corporate governance and it's better for their investment once they participate in the process. So the, the ultimate goal is to get them to care, not with incentives of a, a charitable donation, but to get them to care in what a company is doing and to have their voice be heard as an actual shareholder of that company and an owner of that company. So we focus a lot also on retail engagement through education. Um, a lot of times you can connect through social media. There's a, mo- there's a movement to have them care about investments, to educate them on why that's important, to get them a call to action and download the app. It's an easy process for you now. Be informed, be educated as an investor of a company. The trend that we're seeing lately is environmental, social, and governmental proposals. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the interesting ones. If it's not proxy contests that are highly publicized, that are you know increased participation twofold, it's the shareholder proposals that are getting an interest from investors. Why should I care? Because I care about the environment. Therefore, I want my, my investments to match my uh, moral compass. Retail voters, I was just really reading a statistic on those issues, voted at about half the rate that institutions do. It's curious. I thought that was really, it's, it's something like, uh, I don't know, 12 or 15 percent of retail will, will vote for an ESG proposal. Or, or, and, and, and maybe just about double that will these days will be on the institutional side. So there's, there's a communication thing beyond just reaching retail, I think, too. Absolutely. And if you're watching the trends with the brokers um, who are now offering specific services that align with ESG, so offering in investment portfolios that match their, their investment choices based on ESG. Mm. So you, you're seeing all sorts of brokers spin up that offer those types of services, offer um, services 
to female investors that might um, play into the importance of board diversity and the um, investors' preferences towards investing in companies that have that type of diversity. So it, it is lining up with activism that the retail shareholders actually do um, care about. And we think that that's a strong play for retail engagement and participation in the future. And because I would presume that activists are going to have the same tools that companies have and are going to want to... Absolutely. And, we, and we've seen that with proxy contests like Procter & Gamble, where both sides were um, approaching the retail in, investor with multiple communication points. And I, I believe Procter & Gamble was over 40% retail investors. So that was a big hmm. part of their strategy during the proxy campaign, was to engage with those retail investors and communicate with them the importance of voting with the activist or with management. It, it's just, I find it fascinating how granular you can get with this. That's, that's the fun part, I think. It's almost... Um, Scientific. It's, it's a science, yeah. I was going to say it's an art, but no. It's more of a, way more of a science. It is most definitely still in, in art form, but it, it is more and more becoming a scientific aspect to it. And what's really interesting is playing that back into um, the recent technology and, and where um, shareholders are now being connected um, social media, as an example, is a really interesting uh, tool to use for that exact reason. So if we go back to the traditional send reminder mailings and emails to investors, it might take weeks to understand if that mailing was successful or days to understand what, if the um, email strategy and the communication was successful. Um, with social media, it's really interesting because we can do those, we can release multiple campaigns similar to strategies used in political elections. We can release multiple campaigns, instantly measure which one is more successful, and very quickly adjust that strategy to release more of the campaign A who is more successful in the market. Wow. Uh, we can release videos, we can change words within a day and re-release re those with multiple messages and determine which one is most successful. What, what is a, an IRO or a CEO? I mean, when you show them this, they've never seen anything like that. Their eyebrows must be really raised. It, it's definitely new, and it's, and it's a fresh new look on, on proxy. The way I explain it is social media is traditionally a, a marketing uh, forum. So you'll traditionally marketers will use that. They'll receive... Um, the, some data and statistics to say this is your success rate on this ad versus that ad. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, social media, it's interesting. The average on Facebook for the percentage of clicks to their audience is less than 1% on average. And from a marketing standpoint, that's where you want to be. Right? You, you want to get above 1%. With proxy campaigns, we've seen on average 3 to 4%, and with some campaigns as, as successful as 7% click rate. So it is a channel where we can engage those retail investors, and they are interested in learning more about the proxy process. And specifically, you're talking about something coming up on somebody's Twitter feed or their Facebook page or something, just sort of a reminder kind of thing. Yep. Huh. And I'm it's a campaign ad. It can include a video from the CEO. When they click on it, it, ca it can drive them to the proxy voting platform or it can drive them to a separate page where they manage the content and really ask, um, 
engage with the retail investor to inform them about why their vote is important. It can take them down the experience that the issuer wants them to, wants to take them down. Is there a reason why you wouldn't just send them an email? The, the email um, is a one-time distribution. If we, with a social media campaign, we can continue a campaign and distribute that content to them um, over the course of weeks, and we can adjust that accordingly. So it's a much more effective way to do that. Email also, if you think about the, the trends in technology where people are receiving their information, people spend hours a day on Facebook. Hmm. That is a proven fact. <laughs> on, on average, I, I, the last stats I saw on this was the average person will spend three to four hours a day, a day on Facebook. So if you want to connect with them, I don't check my email or the email I have set up for my investment accounts. I don't check that on a regular basis but people are checking their social media accounts on a daily basis. Right. Yeah, it's where the eyes are. You know, IR in general and finance to a certain extent, they aren't necessarily the first off the block in terms of uh, embracing new technology. What's your sense when talking to, to companies about how they feel about this technology and it's capturing retail votes? Yeah, we speak a lot with um, the the IR professionals about their retail base, and it, and it is in line with voting, but also in line with their ownership changes. So if we do quarterly updates on their ownership of retail investors, it's not something they have um, any type of transparency into or knowledge of today. They, they tend to focus on their top institutional investors um, that take up um, the vast majority of their time that might make up 60-70% of their shareholder base. So it makes sense for them to focus on those large uh, institutional investors. The way that we speak about it, it and it de depends from issuer to issuer, is um, you know what percentage of shareholder base is their retail, but their, their single highest investor is the retail investor. It's a very large bucket that they can engage with at any point in time uh, albeit a, a different means of engaging. It could be a social media campaign. It could be a distribution. It could be communicating through notifications. Um, but if it's if their retail investor is 30% of their shareholder base, well, that is their largest investor. And so the, the amount of time that they spend with their top three, four investors, you should spend equal amount of time engaging with that top 30. And with the lack of technology in the space before, they wouldn't consider it just with budget constraints. But now that they can easily engage with those retail investors, it is something that they're they are starting to recognize. Mm. To in, they are capable of engaging with that single largest investor. Sherry McLaughlin, uh, real pleasure speaking with you. Pleasure speaking with you as well. And that'll do it for your ticker podcast this week. I think McLaughlin is quite right when she talks about having to go wherever the eyes are. But I also think that where there's eyes, there's ears. Podcasts could be a great medium to reach the proxy voting masses. But speaking of masses, there's one thing that both worries and thrills me about our new digital condition when it comes to corporate governance. These sorts of disruptions tend to have unforeseen outcomes, some trivial, others profound. So what happens when two swipes and a click and your biggest shareholder suddenly starts voting en masse? What will people collectively do? I mean, anything could happen. Thank you for listening.
vote for this podcast on iTunes. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassette.